And from the looks of it, they're going to need every one of them. <laughs> Our epistle lesson is from Acts, the 17th chapter, verses 22 through 31. And this is a part of the story of Paul in Athens. Paul stood up in front of the council and said, People of Athens... I see that you are very religious. As I was going through your city and looking at the things you worship, I found an altar with the words, To an unknown God. You worship this God, but you really don't know Him. So I want to tell you about Him. This God made the world and everything that is in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built with human hands. He doesn't need help from anyone. He gives life and breath and everything else to all people. From one person, God made all the nations who live on the earth. He decided when and where every nation would be. God has done all of this so that you will look for Him and reach out to find Him. He isn't far from us. And He gives us the power to live, to move, and to be who we are. We are His children, just as some of your poets have said. And since we are God's children, we must not think that He is like an idol made of silver or gold or stone. He isn't like anything that humans have thought up and made. In the past, God forgave all this because people did not know what they were doing. But now He says that everyone everywhere must turn to Him. He has set a day when He will judge the world's people with fairness. And He has chosen the man Jesus to do the judging for Him. God has given proof of this to all of us by raising Jesus from the dead. This is the Word of the Lord. This is a strange way to start a sermon. It's been two or three weeks ago. And I was flipping through channels, as we do when we're relaxing at home, and I found the original movie Men in Black from 1997, I think. Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, I thought it was a pretty good movie, so I watched it again, and yeah, the jokes are dated and some of the things are, you know, not quite what we would think, but it's still a pretty good movie. But there's a line in the movie that pointed me in a different direction that I want to share with you. It's near the end and the Tommy Lee Jones character is sitting back and he looks up at the night sky and he says, they really are beautiful, the stars. I never look at them anymore. And the rationale for him not looking and enjoying the beauty of the night sky is he's been too busy worrying about all the aliens that's coming to earth <laughs> to appreciate it. But in a very different, very real-world scenario, the great English writer Adolf Huxley, who's the grandson of Thomas Huxley, says, There was a time when I gazed upon the star with wonders and amazement. Now, late in life, I look at the heavens the same way I look at the faded wallpaper in a railway waiting room. Those are sad words for a pretty good movie and really sad words for a person who has lived his life supposedly looking for truth. 
And yet I want to argue that that's what modernity will do to all of us if we let it. Scholars use the term modernity to describe a modern world which is not adequate to describe and is sadly out of touch with people in the second decade of the 21st century. One of the characteristics of modernity is this idea of demystification, the loss of wonder, the dissipation of awe. Everything is just, well, we can explain everything. The world we inhabit, if we go along with this, tends to be flat and predictable and too often completely explainable. But of course it's not really flat, it's not really predictable, and it's not really all that explainable. If good science teaches us anything, there is not yet an explanation for everything. That's what good science does. For all the wonderful gifts that our scientific age has given us, science is not going to explain beauty. Either you see it or you don't. There is no formula. There's nothing you can do in the laboratory that tells you beauty is this and ugliness is that. Some would say that as far back as the 18th century, the philosopher French Rousseau and then John Locke, the Englishman, began to apply what we would later call scientific theory to everything not just to what we think of as science, but to art and literature and philosophy and religion. And the truth is, it was a good thing. We have learned so much, even about the Scriptures, by being able to apply the historical critical method as we seek to understand what the Bible really says in the original language. And yet, however far we push it, however far we can measure and analyze and categorize everything including faith, bottom line truth is, is you can't put it into the little boxes our minds make. There still ought to be a place for awe. There ought to be a place that's bigger than our ability to analyze and understand. Now, Hear me well, this is not a plea for ignorance. Some of my best friends are scientists, <laughs> including a brother. We live in a scientific age and thank God for it. We've learned so much, we enjoy it every day. But we do science a disservice when we ask it to give us answers to stuff it was never intended to simply doesn't work like that. And we do just as great a disservice when we try to use faith to discern science. Faith is about trusting. That's what believing really means. It's about trusting God and trust is bigger than what you can analyze or measure. And yet much of the world we live in is so regulated in our minds at least, that we don't accept many things we can't prove if we can't prove it in the lab. And that is, to me, a great pity. 
For what about beauty and majesty and wonder in a universe that is bigger than any of us can explain? That's an awfully long introduction to get to the title of a sermon. The more things change, the more they stay the same. It really is true because the Apostle Paul, virtually 2,000 years ago, on the hill in Athens, is running into this same sense of modernity for those folk that we run into thinking we can explain everything because they thought they could too. Paul himself is classically educated. He goes to Athens, which is the seat of learning and culture, and he wants to explain who he is and what he's about. And in the course of that, of course, he wants to tell people about Jesus. Paul gives one of the classic speeches in antiquity. And it is meant to reach out to a specific culture. He goes to the Agora, the marketplace, and he starts off, Athenians, I see how religious you are because there's temples everywhere and there is a temple to an unknown God and let me tell you about it. It would not have done Paul a bit of good to go to Athens and say, I'm Jewish and I've got the Jewish scriptures and I'm going to read them to you and explain where Messiah comes from. They knew about Judaism. They didn't care about Judaism. They certainly didn't care about what we call the Old Testament. Didn't phase them. Didn't care. Paul has to start where they are. Not a bad lesson for short-term missionaries either. We've got to start where people are. And then, using good Aristotelian logic, Paul says, I'm going to appeal to you, and of course he doesn't say the words, he does it, in language you'll understand. And so he appeals to them through their philosophy and through their own ability to look at nature. How much we tend to forget I hear lots of people, good, honest Christian people, who are so worried about the culture we live in as if all of us don't participate in this culture too. Oh, we must transform culture. We must never let culture do anything to us. Give me a break. Culture's you. You're part of it. Christians can't withdraw from the world around us. That's not our calling. What we are called to do is to take our belief, our understanding, and try to help interpret the world that we live in. Paul understood far better than we do that as Christians we'd better be meeting people where they are. Because if we think we're going to have an impact on people by quoting Scripture in an age that doesn't know Scripture, or judging people in an age that doesn't believe in any kind of judgment, we're kidding ourselves. We start where Paul starts. We start where the gospel always starts, with a gracious, loving God who would 
do for the entire humanity what he's already done for the few. That's where we start. Whether we like it or not, we really are a part of the culture we represent. And how much good does it do us to decry all the horrible things? Of course, there's always been. And all of us, in our own way, play our own part in both the good and the bad. You can't escape that. Being a Christian doesn't mean you ought to escape that. It simply means that we have to look back out on the culture of which we're a part in a different way. Now, for Paul, the speech goes really good. He's got people really listening until he brings up Jesus. And they probably wouldn't even have flinched at the bringing up of Jesus, but of course Paul's got to finish the message and he talks about Jesus who rises from the dead. Well, that was beyond the pale for most Athenians. They heard that and they pretty quickly turned Paul off. Now, looking back now, we can say, well, gosh, Paul, if you had waited a couple of speeches to get into that, maybe it would have been better, but maybe it wouldn't either. The truth is, that is part of the message and the good news. So, in a sense, this fabulous classical speech that Paul makes almost falls on deaf ears. Only a couple of people end up responding. Why? Well, for the same reason we struggle for people to hear the good news we would proclaim today. People may be deeply spiritual. People may be looking for things that give meaning to their life. Our world has been, the United States especially, has been described as a nation of seekers for the last 25 years. And seek we do, we just have a real hard time finding. Don't be too hard on the Athenians. They look like us. I say at times, and people look at me strangely, I'm one of the world's great skeptics. I hear things and I say, yeah, maybe. Faith is not about my ability to prove. Faith is about my trusting that God is the one who understands and knows. And that really is where we need to be going in our lives too. What Paul says is, I found the one you seek. And the one you seek is Jesus the Christ. And in many ways, that's about all any of us can do as well how hard that is, we want to be able to convince people. We would love to be able to argue people into faith. Give it a try. I suggest it doesn't work very well. I've, I've never, never, ever in my life, and I don't think I've ever seen it in anybody else's, where somebody debated somebody else into faith. If that's where you want to go, you're going to lose. doesn't work like that. Paul receives mocking. He doesn't really receive abuse. He is rebuked because they think he's being silly. But again, it's very much like the world we live in. 
Christianity requires a different way of looking on the world. Experience is not enough. All our science for how wonderful it is can't prove every single thing, especially those things about belief. That sort of knowledge comes best as God's gift. We have received, and it is our to try to give it away. We don't comprehend everything any more than the Athenians did. And we kid ourselves if we think we do. We are those who must learn to appeal to something that's bigger than cause and effect or this equals that. We are the ones who say, I know somebody that can give life meaning. We are the ones who must not mock back when others call our faith silly. If we mock back, we've lost the opportunity to stand for the loving God who embraces even the scoffers. I would remind us that the Scripture doesn't say Jesus died for all those who actually trust Him and believe Him. God so loved the world. As far as I know, that includes everybody. It's simply that we believe we have been given the gift of something more. And that's a gift we ought to be willing to find a way to share. We've seen something the world hasn't seen. Not because we're better or smarter or any of those things, but because we were gifted with it. And so my call to you is, let us go forth not to be judgmental. Not to say, God's going to get you. Not to try to hold other people accountable. That's not our job. Our job is to tell the good news of the one who loves them, who cares for them, who will give their life the same meaning that we have found. That's it. We'll let God sort out the rest. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.